We have been uh, looking at a lot of different things, and the summer lends itself to that, to these kind of short series. And, and I want to take the next two weeks and just kind of talk about, first of all, why do we look at the Bible so much, right? Why do we use it? And, and you know, I, I feel a bit... Um, to me, I've always done it this way. That makes sense? That's the way I grew up. In the churches that I've been in, I've been very thankful and blessed to study the Word of God every week. That, that, that was a thing that was the non-negotiable. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you a story that when I was uh, leading an Operation Barnabas team, one of the teams that Joanne's going to go on this summer, I stopped and visited at a church and the pastor there took it so seriously that he wouldn't even let one of the teenagers preach out of the Word. He made one of the leaders do it. Like in his mind, that's the way I grew up. That man, when you're handling the Bible, it's serious. Now, I think that we need to have lots of different ways to discuss it in lots of open forums. And that's why we have small groups to study the Word. But on Sunday morning, to me, it's a non-negotiable as well. That we look at the Bible. That whenever I hear folks that visit or come from other fellowships or other churches and say that, man, you use the Bible a lot, that shocks me. And it saddens me too. Because we're not studying that which God has passed on to us to learn about Him for the best way to, to be the believers that we can be. And so I want us to understand some of its historicity, some of its, some of its proven relevance, those kinds of things. And then next week we're going to look at a little bit about how it may be impactful in your individual lives. And so if you want to look at uh, 2 Timothy with me this morning, that's where we're going to start. We'll start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this is something that the Bible says about itself. And so... I want to start here, and I'm going to use these two verses as a framework for some of the things that I want to talk about today. So, the Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy, a letter written by Paul, one of the apostles, to a young man who was growing up in the Lord, that was going to become someone that would go to other churches and help set up churches and help minister to churches. Paul is reminding this young man that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We used to say when I was growing up that it was the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. That was, that was kind of a mantra that we would look to the Scriptures when we had a question. We would dive in and we would, we would research it and look what the Bible had to say about a particular topic, something that was going on inside of our world. Today, we live in a world that's really struggling to find truth, right? Trying to even define it. What is truth? We live in a world that's enamored with justice. <laughs> we want to, to see justice served. And I think that the Word of God comes against both of those principles. There shouldn't be a struggle to find truth. There shouldn't be. 
Moral relativism inside of our culture is only going to lead to more fighting and more arguments because it's not based upon how you feel that dictates truth. That's not how it should work. But yet, that's how we have decided that we want to run our, our world. That it depends on how you feel on a given day as to how truthful some things are in your life. That moral relativism will lead to anything in our world being untethered to any position that's easily swayed by emotion and circumstance. Our truth shouldn't be tied to things that hinge upon emotion or your circumstance. It's not the way it should work. In our search for justice, the Bible says grace and mercy. Right? Be careful how much you seek out justice in your own eyes lest it be dealt to you in the measure that you deserve. Justice is not a word to play around with, is what I'm saying. None of us wants to be given justice. Because then every one of our actions will be weighed on a scale and we'll be given what we deserve. And that's not what we want. We want what the Bible has to offer. We want truth, an absolute truth that we can moor ourselves to, that we can anchor ourselves in, that we can then view our world through. That we can say, how do I discern what's going on around me? What makes it real? What makes it right? What makes it noble, what makes it honorable, all those things that Philippians says that we're supposed to be thinking about. We have to have a biblical worldview to be able to do those things so we're not attached to our circumstances, to our emotions, but we're attached to something that has outlived all of us already, will outlive every one of us that has been around for thousands of years, that has continually been proven right over and over archaeologically, more and more evidences have come to light in a shocking volume in the last 50 years. When I say all Scripture, I mean the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'll just break it down in those two basic compartments because I just want to stay there. I don't want it to be too heavy or too weighty for you, but I want you to understand that, that there are two pieces in your Bible, right? You know the Old Testament, and those are the funny guys that, that you don't know how to pronounce their last name or their names and things like that, right? The, the Haggai's and, and Zechariah's and those kinds of guys that hang out in the Old Testament. That's also for us for today. There are pieces there that help us understand God's nature and the nature of man. So when we look at the Old Testament, here's what I wrote. These are just my thoughts. This isn't anything that I stole from somebody, but 
in the Old Testament, when I talk about all Scripture, God the Father relates directly to His creation in the Old Testament, verbally and by the leading of His chosen people, the Israelites. He's expressing His desire to provide and protect the world through a series of physical and verbal interactions. In it, we see the character and nature of both God and man revealed. Now, we can get into trouble because we can claim some of the things that God is talking about to the nation of Israel. We've got to be very careful in how we read the Old Testament and what we apply. All right? I'm going to upset some folks when I say Jeremiah 29, 11. You don't really want any part of that necessarily in the context it was written. Okay? It is a beautiful picture of God's character, that He has a hope and a future for you, but it was written to the nation of Israel as they were in slavery. And everyone in that generation was going to die in slavery. That was the hope that, that in the next generation they would be free. Okay? So, yes, does it reveal God's character and His nature that He's going to be faithful, that He's going to be loving, that He has our best interests at heart? Yes, it develops His character more fully, but that is not a promise that I can claim directly for my life because it was written in a specific point in time to a specific people group. And the Old Testament does that. It reveals God's character over and over because He pursues this nation with a passion that we don't understand, right? He follows this people. He leads them through the desert as a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. He does all of these visible things, these tangible ways. He parts Red Seas. He does these things to continue to woo this nation to believe that He is the one and only true God. Developing fully His character, His dominion over the world. All of that is encompassed inside of the Old Testament. It's a fascinating study when you really understand it and you keep it in its proper place. When you allow it to develop the character and the nature of God in your mind, and it also gives us quite a glimpse of what it is to be human too, right? Because God has to continue to pursue the Israelite nation. One instance... Their leader goes up to meet with God to get the very instructions that we call the Ten Commandments. He's gone for a period of time, and another man steps in named Aaron. So Moses goes up on the mountain. Aaron is standing there, and the people are like, Hey, where'd Moses go? What are we supposed to be doing? Give us something to worship, right? And you're going to know this story because you've heard of the golden calf. Here is a people, doesn't make any sense to us today, maybe, necessarily. Their leader leaves, their leader was their connection to God. In their mind, that's the only thing that tethered them to God. So he leaves, and he's not sure, they're not sure he's coming back. The guy that steps in makes a cow out of gold, and they start worshiping it. 
If that doesn't tell you something about human nature, then I can't explain it any more clearly. We will insert whatever is easy, whatever is tangible, whatever is right there in front of us in the place of God left our own devices. And so as we study the Bible, the reason that we look at it so intensely is because it reveals the character of our God, the nature of His relationship with the nation of Israel, and then in the New Testament with us. And it also develops this idea that man needs God. Because left to our own devices, that's not our natural bent. It's not our first inclination. We want to believe we're entirely self-sufficient, that we're, that we're the rugged individualists that are Americans, right? We forged this land. And we don't need God anymore. We don't need Him to provide for us or protect us. And so we have to continually revisit the Word of God to remember who God is. He doesn't want to control us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to protect us. And all of the things that He talks about inside of His Word are useful, right? And we have to be reminded that, that the ways in which we interact with each other and the ways that we interact with our God aren't always the best ways. That the more that we anchor ourselves to our own emotion, our own circumstance, the, the deeper we fall away from God, actually. The harder it is to connect to who He is. That's why we look at the Bible every week. That's just the Old Testament. <laughs> I have a picture up here too. I want to show you a little bit because I want to give you an idea of the lengths that God has gone to to continue to keep His Word in front of us. Okay, This was a place called the Community at Qumran. All right? And on that hillside right there, this was actually, I took this picture in Israel. And you can see some caves, see the dark spots, just a couple of caves all over that wall of rock. In 1947, there was a young Bedouin boy. Okay, He's a nomadic, tribal shepherder. He's leading his sheep and animals through the desert. Can't find them all. And so one of their tricks that they learned was to go toward these caves and they would throw rocks up into the cave. And when the rock would bounce around, it would sometimes scare the sheep out of the cave and they would get their sheep back. And so in 1947... There was this young boy walking around in the desert. He picks up a couple of rocks to throw into the cave to chase his sheep around, and he hears a crash of some pots. And he doesn't know what's going on. So he goes to investigate, and he finds these clay jars... Upon further investigation over the next decade or so, they find about 230 different pieces of the manuscripts of the Bible. One complete scroll of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. 
Now, this is just the Old Testament, okay? But they found fragments in those jars from every book of the Old Testament except Esther. In 1947, folks, it wasn't that long ago. That's about 1,900 years after this stuff was written. Some of it was written in a language that dated back to almost 500 B.C. So some of these scrolls were from antiquity. You're talking 2,000-year-old manuscripts in a clay pot in the desert found in 1947. God is going to continue to release revelation to us. Not necessarily new direction, new ways of salvation, none of that stuff, but continue to bolster our faith, to give us something to anchor ourselves to the Word of God. We've got to believe it when it comes. Because our nature is not bent that way, right? One of the things that the, that the historians and others are concerned about is, well, where's Esther? That must, that, this can't, really? That's what you're going to talk about? 230 pieces of the Old Testament found in a clay jar by a Bedouin kid in 1947. This isn't stuff that, that I'm just making up or that I'm going to be reading to you from the Old Testament. This is stuff that's happening in some of your lifetimes, folks. It's an amazing thought to know that this stuff is happening right in front of us. That it adds a beautiful picture of what God is trying to do, that He wants us to have His Word. That He wants us to understand completely how important it is to Him and how important it is to our lives. The New Testament. The New Testament is God the Father expressing the depth of His compassion. He's reconciling all of His creation to Him with grace and mercy through the death, burial, and resurrection of His only Son. Engaging the world in a personal and intimate relationship and leading men through the influence of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament takes on an entirely different look at who God is, doesn't it? You might not even recognize, when you read the New Testament and the Old Testament, you think, I don't even understand how they go together, right? And it's, it's a continued pursuit of God's creation. That's the easiest way I can put it. That in the Old Testament, He tried to pursue and, and convince the world by His protection and provision for Israel. And by the way, in the end of the world, He'll do that again very clearly. We don't have time for all that today. He used the Old Testament to paint this picture of what His nature was like and who we are, and then He goes silent for a period of time until the birth of Jesus. And the New Testament happens. 
Why do we believe the New Testament? Why would we want to, to believe any of the new writings? Why don't we just stay with those Hebrew Scriptures? That, and why, why can we do these things that now the Jews were the only ones to have access? And how do we believe any of this stuff? Well, first of all, you're talking about eyewitness accounts, folks. All right? Don't forget that. Don't forget that the things that are written in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, all of those things were things that were witnessed by people. Not just the author, but by hundreds, possibly thousands of people. And so when these became public, they were vetted by the public. Do you understand that? Like, if, if right now the closest thing that I can compare it to is the narrative that some are trying to put out there that the Holocaust never happened. Right? There are people out there that are trying to say the Holocaust never happened. So what do we do? We verify it, right? We've got... Rolls of film. We've got eyewitness accounts. We've got all kinds of evidentiary pieces that we put together that we can say, that's a crazy assertion. You think people changed so much from this millennia, from that millennia? When... When the authors of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, when those, when those writings came out, do you don't think that people were like, well, I don't think it really happened that way. And five other people went, well, yeah, I was there. Right? That's, that's the reality of what we possess. It's not just writing. These were eyewitness accounts and stories that were verified by lots of other people. Why is the Bible important? Because it's true. Because 2,000 years ago, it existed in the same form, not the same language, but the same form then. Men have tried for 2,000 years to discredit it. And yet it is still the best-selling book in the world. And every one of you should have it in your possession. Because it's true, because it's useful, all of the things that we need to view our world are found inside of it. The Gospels are those eyewitness accounts, the book of Acts the same way. Those letters then that make up most of the rest of the New Testament are to individual churches from disciples that directly walked with Jesus. There is a clear and direct connection to those men as authors that then can take that information, 
pass it on to the churches and say, this is an interpretation, this is an instruction, this is the way that God would want you to lead the church. And so those letters carry that authority, but more than just the apostolic authority, which was necessary, that they were connected to an apostle, because there were other writings, folks. Okay, don't, you know, it's just like all the other books. Like somebody writes a successful book, and then there's ten just like it, right? Well, the New Testament was no different. If you go back, there's all kinds of, of books that somebody tried to jump on the bandwagon and write it and rewrite it and make it better and juice it up a little bit, make it more entertaining. And over time, if it was not linked to an apostle directly, if there was not that apostolic authority, if it didn't have antiquity, if it wasn't written from that period of time when memories would be best served... <laughs> And if it didn't carry the same orthodoxy, the same teaching, the same manners, the same characteristics that the Gospels and the book of Acts and others carried that weight, then it wouldn't be included. Those would be discarded and not used. These letters carry that weight. And how did the men come about it? All Scripture... Old Testament, New Testament, all of it verified. How did they verify some of the New Testament? Because they compared it to what was taught in the Old Testament. That Jesus Himself quoted the Old Testament. That His disciples knew the Old Testament, applied the Old Testament. They, they correlated all of that together. And then as they wrote the New Testament, all Scripture is God-breathed. These are the only two phrases I'm going to talk about today. Because if we don't believe these two, then, then you might as well just not come anymore. And I'm going to be that blunt. Because we teach the Bible because it's true and it's useful. It's God-breathed. That canon of Scripture that all of these books that we have today were canonized, that they are now the measuring stick for everything else, okay? That's what the canon is. This is the measure that everything else is going to be compared by. The Old Testament, same thing. It was validated, authenticated by the life of Jesus and His disciples. It had a well-known historical evidence in that time frame. You understand, these Hebrew Scriptures were passed on orally from family after family after family and then recorded. The New Testament, the apostolic authority, the antiquity, the orthodoxy, those things, but most importantly, they were inspired. That, that's awesome. Sunday school class went outside. That the New Testament and the Old Testament, the men that wrote these books had an opportunity to interact with God in a way that, that won't ever happen again. They had the opportunity to literally write the inspired words of God. It's... In theological terms, it's verbal, plenary inspiration. 
It was communicated to them. Now, I'm not going to say it was audible. I'm not going to say it was guiding the pen. I'm not going to put myself in the place of God or the Holy Spirit. Okay? I'm just going to say that, that it was communicated to an individual plurally, okay? Verbal, plenary. There were more than one author, and it was inspired by God. And they wrote down the very things that God wanted us to know. And they went through council after council. They went through vetting after vetting. They had disputes. They still try today. And the Bible that we have today is the one that's been intact for thousands of years. It's not been changed. There are some that would say, well, we don't know if we believe like Esther, right? We can't find it in those early manuscripts. So we're going to put an asterisk on that one. Two thousand years of evidence. Bedouin boys in the desert finding manuscripts in 1947. Continued archaeological evidence being revealed almost daily in sites around the world that support the biblical narrative of the time period. We need to study this book. Because it's the only thing that will outlast you. It's the thing that will help guide you through everything that you are going through. Anything that you will face. It will provide you with the hope to get through it. It will help give you discernment to make the best decision. If you know it. What the Bible says about itself in 2 Peter, Peter writing this to us. 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. For we do not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received glory and honor from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is My Son, whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. That's when Jesus was baptized. And they watched it happen, folks. <laughs> okay? They heard a voice from heaven say, This is My Son. This is not a cleverly devised myth. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. 
For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If you do anything this week, study that verse, those two verses in 2 Timothy, and look at these last two verses here and understand that all Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why do we study the Bible? Why do we believe it to be true? Because I cannot disprove it. I could not do what I do standing here today if I didn't believe it if I didn't try to apply it. I'm just a man that has really good material. That's the reality. And by virtue of the Holy Spirit, I have the ability to read it and apply it to my life and to try to help others apply it to their life. And you have that same power. If you have confessed the name of Jesus as your Lord and welcomed Him into your life and made Him Lord of your life, then we are promised the Holy Spirit that will help us discern what His Word says. That's how it works. That when you commit your life to Jesus, you have an opportunity to read His Word with a new set of glasses. By making Him the Lord of your life, you will understand His Word more thoroughly and completely than you will ever understand on your own. In a world that is searching for truth, (laughs) that is screaming out for justice, (laughs) I say read the Bible. If you're looking for truth, it hasn't changed. Alright? If you think I'm crazy, I challenge you, we will talk about things. I will love to walk you through some of the Levitical law. You'll be bored to tears, but it's fascinating how almost everything in our known world still operates by those principles. I can take you to a passage that would say, if you kill a man's ox... You now owe him for his day's wages and the loss of his ox. That sounds like common law to me. You think we came up with that? It's been around way before we ever thought of it, folks. There is nothing new under the sun. Nothing exists that has not already been thought of or done by God Himself. And given to us to provide for us and to protect us from ourselves, really. To allow ourselves to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you don't have a version of the Bible that you read already, I challenge you to find one that you will read. 
All right? I'm not going to tout one version over the other. I would be happy to talk about the benefits of some over the other, but the New Living Translation is very easily read. The New International Version is another one that's very easily read. You can access all of them through version on your phone, iPad, anything that you have that's digital. And you can pick the version. You can pick the verse you want to read and read it in six different versions if you want. We need to be studying the Word of God. It's the only thing that will thoroughly equip us for what's ahead. That's why we do it every week. That's why I don't take the newest book off the shelf and just talk about it. But I take a book that somebody may write and the principles, and then what do I do? I look at it through Scripture, right? Because that's the only way it really has validity in our worldview, is if it fits through the lens of Scripture. That's the way it should work in your everyday life, too. You have that opportunity. God wants to provide and protect you as well. I would challenge you not to formulate your worldview based on Facebook memes or tweets. Okay? They can be entertaining. They can be beneficial at times. But they should not and cannot replace the Bible. If you do nothing, at least get yourself an app that gives you one verse a day, just a verse of the day, so that you can be reading one verse a day. That's all it may take to change your mindset. Father, thank You so much for the opportunity to look at Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would continue to guide us and direct us. That You would give us insight into Your Word. That we would know how to apply it to the circumstances in our life. Lord, thank You for telling us exactly how it works. (laughs) That all the Scripture we have is from You. And it's useful for correcting and training and righteousness that that we might be thoroughly equipped for everything that we want to do that is good in our world. Lord, I pray that we would stop vacillating between moralities of our own making and that we would stand firm on Your truth. Lord, thank You for Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen.